0: Well, if it's your first time here, um, is, it, is it is this okay? Okay, I'm all self-conscious now. We are we are a ministry that is focused on Jesus Christ and His gospel, His good news to sinners that there is hope. And uh, as we we sang these songs, I really appreciated the worship. That the music ministries team's effort to change up the music, if you notice that, like we're all like, uh, do we say, it? do we? I like that. Do you know why? It makes me, it, it, it forces me to focus on what I'm saying. It's so easy to uh, sing the same old songs and they become like like a mantra. We don't realize what we're saying. But it's good to switch things up so that we can use music as a tool so you get what you're saying, because the truth is in the lyrics. Music is like general revelation. It's mountains and sunsets and it's art and it's beautiful. But if you want to know the Lord, you've got to get into the word. That's specific revelation. And I appreciate the guys, how they switched up the music so that we paid attention to what we were saying. It's appropriate that um, we focus on Christ this evening. We've been going through the Gospels um, this whole year, slowly working our way through like a synopsis of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Last week, we talked, Tanner talked about, I think it was Luke chapter 8, is that right? And we looked at uh, the disciples in the storm and Jesus, calming the sea, showing that, who is this man who is in the boat, the disciples asked. Now, we're actually going to step back one chapter. Um, we, got, we got our wires not crossed, but we switched things up after the retreat. We're going to step back a little bit. Um, really excited to talk to you this evening and to... Look into God's word and see how he will encourage us in some of life's most darkest times. Some of the most darkest nights of the soul. Scripture comforts us. Um, One of those times for a Christian, times of doubt. Times when you doubt. I'll bet you. That if I were to ask you to raise your hand and say, has anybody here ever struggled with doubting that almost every single person would raise their hand? Yeah, there's definitely been seasons. This whole week, everybody that I've, just about everybody that I've bumped into, not everybody, I I say, hey, have you ever doubted? And without fail, so far, every single person is like, yeah, yeah one of those things as Christians that we don't like. Like, we just kind of keep it to ourselves. It's a it's a private thing, and we're afraid to, to go to somebody and say, "Man, I am wrestling in my faith with doubt." Um. Two two summers ago, three summers ago, I wrestled with doubt. Can God really forgive me for some of the things that I've done? All of a sudden, doubt creeps in. And scripture comforted me where it says, Where sin abounds, Andy, where your sin abounds, grace abounds more. And I had to teach my heart that. And then five summers ago, I had this idea of what it would look like and where we'd live when we moved here. And it wasn't like I pictured. And uh, I remember, like, you give like this little foothold. I thought it was going to be like this, Lord. And all of a sudden, doubt creeps in a little bit. What are you doing? What are you doing, Lord? And then there's the biggest doubt. And I wrestled with this when I was younger. The the darkest doubt is, is this for real? Is this for real? Like, am I believing a lie? Or a lot of Christians will wrestle with, am I saved? Did Is this... Like, is there something I missed? I wonder how many of you have been there. I wonder how many of you are there right now, like you. One thing I, 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 I'm concerned about sometimes for um, all of you in your stage of life is you're so busy, and you get real busy with activities and grades and things that are fun and good, but you're so busy and distracted that you're not able to truly, as First Corinthians says, I think it's First or Second Corinthians, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. And then all of a sudden, in a couple years or this summer, all that busyness and all that excitement that you're experiencing right now and tension will go away and you'll have time to think and doubt will start to creep in. Is this for real? Maybe, maybe people have said things to you. They asked you hard questions. Oh, you're a Christian. What about this? Like, doubt reminds me of a virus. How's that? A virus creeps into your body. You don't know when it creeps in, but it creeps in and it latches on to a cell and it inserts a little bit of its poison. Ain't that right, Andy? Oh, yeah, we were just tested on this. (laughs) And after a while, that person gets sick. And that's how doubt works. You don't know quite when, but it creeps in and it inserts some of its poison. And next thing you know, you have a person who is very troubled. They're doubting. And Scripture gives (laughs) so much encouragement to you. And that's what we're going to look at this evening. If I, could, um, if I could give you a thesis for tonight, one thing to camp on, it would be this. Deliverance from doubt comes through the person and work of Christ as testified in the Word of God. That would be the big idea. Now let's break that down. If you were to do a character study on a doubter in the Bible, I want, I want to look at doubt. I want to look at doubt. Who would you look at? Any ideas? Who? Who? Thomas or Peter. What about John the Baptist? What about John the Baptist? Let's go to Luke chapter 7. We're going to be looking at John. If you don't know who John the Baptist is, man, a lot of people, this is one of their favorite guys in Scripture. And I think it's because he had like a big beard and like long hair. He took a Nazarite vow and that meant that you are set apart for the Lord. You don't cut your hair. You don't cut your beard. You, you drink no strong drinks. You hear the Lord's. John took that vow. And um, we think about, like, uh, he's out in the, the wilderness in a camel skin. And he's, like, eating bugs and stuff. And, like, every once in a while he emerges into public and he's, like, repent. And he's just insane. And my question is: Let's just start with Luke chapter seven before I ask the question. Now that you have that picture of John in your head, okay. Luke seven. This is right before what Tanner taught on last week. Luke seven eighteen. Jesus has just healed a bunch of people. He has just talked to the centurion ironically who said lord i believe help me with my doubt help me believe more i need faith 718 luke then the disciples of john reported to him reported to john concerning all these things now before we go any further you need to know where john is right now he's not by the jordan I don't, I don't know if he's in a camel skin, and he's probably not eating honey. He's in prison. He's been there for a year. He was in prison because he called out a leader, Herod, for living in sin. What did Herod do? Herod was sleeping with his brother's wife. His brother's Philip, had a wife named Herodias, John uh, said... <laughs> Herod, uh, King Herod seduces her, and they get married. John, um, keep I want to go to John. Herod divorces his wife, and he marries this other lady, and John calls him out. Herodias hates him for this. She hates John for this, and it says in Matthew, For the sake of Herodias... John was thrown into prison. That's where John is right now. And he's been there for a long time. So the disciples, they come running, John's disciples, come running to John the Baptist, and they say, they report to him concerning all these things. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? Jesus, are you the coming one? The one that we expected? Are you the Messiah? Or are we looking in the wrong direction? How did John go from fiery John to doubting John? Let me give you a little history on John, okay? John's father was approached by an angel who told about John's birth. John is the only person that I can think of in Scripture who says that he was full of the Holy Spirit before he was born. I don't know anybody else like that. Says that of John. This is John the Baptist who took took that vow. He is set apart to the Lord. This is the John who is by the Jordan. He's baptizing people. This is the John who baptized Jesus, saw him coming, this is the John who, when he baptized Jesus, what did he hear? What, what did God say? In the, in, in the shape of a dove, in the form of a dove, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. That, that's this John. And he went from that guy to Jesus, like, are you the coming one? Or did we miss the boat? How did that happen? Did you ever want, did you ever see a person like this where they're they're like a, they're a rock? Maybe this is some of you. And you've had these experiences in life where you're like, man, Lord, this is so awesome. We're going to Bible studies. I'm going to church. I love singing, playing my guitar in my room. You know, all by yourself, praising the Lord. And then all of a sudden, doubt creeps in. Did you ever know anybody like that? Man, I have. And you think, how'd they go from that to this? That was John. Um, James, James 1 says, well, let me ask you this first. One of the first questions that we ask is maybe John wasn't a Christian. Maybe he wasn't a believer after all. Isn't that what you do when you doubt? Maybe I'm not a believer. Huh. Maybe John wasn't a believer. James says, and James is too a he says, When you ask something of the Lord, ask in faith and do not doubt. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea. Doubt shakes you up. Blown and tossed by the wind. Let not this man expect to receive anything from the Lord. Doubt shakes you up. It robs you from the rest and the peace that Christ has. And then lastly, it says, um, For he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This is what doubt is. Doubt is double-mindedness. On one side... You're weighing what God says. But on the other side, you're like, but I think this. God, I know you said this. But here's what I've been thinking about. See, what doubt does is it attacks the, ver- like, the nervous system of your Christianity. What is that? It's faith. What does Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 say? For we are saved, what is it, by grace through faith. For we are saved by grace through faith. What doubt does is it comes in and it starts to erode that faith. The faith that in Second Peter, God says faith that is as precious as pure gold and God will do whatever it takes to refine it, to make it into the image of Christ. Doubt comes in, and it says, Really? Really? You believe that? It's double-minded. Was John a believer? Yeah, definitely. But he was weak. (laughs) He was in a weakened state. What's the difference between doubt and disbelief? It's the difference between Peter and Judas, You have Peter, in intense times. Surely you were with Jesus. I never knew the guy. Then you have Judas, willingful disobedience. Two totally different characters. And if you look at the fruit of Judas' life, you will see that he loved money. He loved it. Who did Peter love? Peter loved Jesus. Judas loved money. John loved Jesus. Jesus, But he was, I want to to look at four things of why John doubted. And I think a lot of them, all of us wrestle with. The first thing is doubt because of circumstances. The circumstances that John was in, he's been in prison for a year. All by himself. Every once in a while, guys come in and they kind of give him the news, what's going on. But there's a, a, there's a likelihood that John had never lived under a roof. There's a likelihood that John spent his, almost his entire existence outdoors. And now John is in a cell for, he don't know, I mean, as long as Herodias hates him, he's in jail. That's where John's at. Um, isn't it amazing how our circumstances... uh, What happens to our flesh rocks our faith. Circumstances like your health. People get cancer. People get tumors. People get hit by cars. People die way before their time. Circumstances that affect your flesh. This body, and our immediate reaction is, Jesus, are you the one, or... Should we look for another? Circumstances like relationships that didn't work out. Circumstances like relationships that haven't happened. And right away we start to, to doubt God rather than trusting in Him. We doubt in Him. Um, a, little, a little note from John the Baptist's life. Don't think that living a godly life, the world's going to pat you on the back. John is in prison, and he is wrestling with doubt in prison for doing the right thing. I think a lot of times we get this idea that um, we want to be accepted by the world and live for God, and it's just not going to happen. The Lord may allow you to go through some hard times. David in Psalm 71 says, Lord, it is you who have brought me great affliction. You know what Job said? Though he may slay me, I'm still going to trust him. That's the kind of rock-solid faith we need, that God is so good that he can inflict this flesh, but God is better than my badness. Even though he may slay me, there's no way that I, I'm going to leave God. Man, I want faith like, like Job, like David. Um, catch this from John. I want you to read this. John seven nineteen, And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus. Where did John go when he doubted? He went to the source. He didn't go to the Pharisees. He didn't stay by himself. John had the courage and the determination. He wanted to know the truth, and he went to the right place. That's what Christians do. Even when they doubt, it drives them to Christ, not from Christ. Um, Second reason that John was wrestling with doubt Partial knowledge. I think we take for granted the time we live in right now, that we have the, the full revelation of God in his word. What did John have? He had, the te- he had the Old Testament. He had the prophets. And you can see that from what he said. He was talking about the Messiah, the coming one, which was foretold. But he didn't know anything. He didn't know there was a cross coming. He didn't even know hardly anything that was going on right then. He had partial knowledge. Every once in a while, his disciples would come to him. and They'd be like, hey, Jesus healed somebody. See ya. And they'd take off. But, like, think about this. John baptized Jesus, and then what happened? Well, shortly after, he went to prison. What did he see Jesus do? Well, Jesus spent 40 days in the, in the desert. After that, he turned water to wine After that, he went to Jerusalem, kicked some people out of the temple. Remember that? After that, he met with Nicodemus. After that, he, the good Samaritan, John's in prison now. And every once in a while, his disciples are like, this is what Jesus is doing. John's like, what's the Messiah doing, man? What's he doing? I'm in prison here. He's hanging out with a Samaritan woman. Really? All right. Think about that. He only had partial information. Um, If somebody said to me, Andy, do you trust your wife? What? Seriously. Do you trust her? Do you have confidence in her? I would say, you bet. How can you say that, Andy? You're not always with her. Oh, uh, no, I'm not. And last summer, she went to your guy's wedding. I didn't see her for like two, two weeks or something. You, how long was it? It was a long time. How do, you, how do you know that she's faithful to you? If somebody was whispering that in my ear, and that night I went to bed, you know what I do? I'd fall right asleep. Because I trust my wife, totally. You know why? I know my wife. I know her. We have been married for almost 12 years. I've known her close to 20. I know my wife. And you could say something, you could be like, what if this, Andy, what if that? And I would say, whatever. I know my wife. A lot of times, Christians wrestle with doubt they don't know the Lord that well. I mean, they know the basics. They, they, they know some of him, like John, but they, they only partially know his goodness. They only partially know the treasures. Um, when John wrestled with doubt... Because he only partially knew. Let me read you something. Luke seven nineteen, And John calling two of his disciples to him. He sent them to Jesus. Do you see the point? Saying, are you the coming one or do we look for another? If you only have partial knowledge and you're doubting, there's a good chance you don't spend that much time in the word. And when that happens, doubt will creep in. There's a a couple verses that I'm going to save for a little bit later. The second thing, the third thing, why did John doubt? John doubted because of worldly influence. What did the Jewish world, what did the world back then expect of the Messiah, the coming one? They had expectations for him. Do you remember what they were? Think of um, Palm Sunday. What were their expectations? They thought the Messiah was going to come and he was going to take back Jerusalem. He was going to conquer the Romans. He was going to restore the Jews to the, like it was back when King David. Their expectations were wrong. The worldly influence that John was getting was not according to truth. It was not according to the world's expectations. Um, Every once in a while, uh, I, I listen to some of these guys who you would call, like, what do you call them? Atheists that, like, just extreme atheists. Sam Harris, Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens. I listen to them because they're feeding the world's force against what I believe. And they'll ask questions, and I get really angry when I hear them because they're against my Savior, but they ask really good questions. And most Christians, they wrestle with doubt because they only partially know, know Jesus, They only partially know the word. And um, they'll ask a question. Well, if you say that God is loving, then why why do people die? And if you say that God is loving, how could that tragic event happen? If he's a loving God, couldn't he have stopped it? Right? And we're like, "Uh, uh, uh, If he's just then why is all the injustice happening? If he cares, and on and on and on. You see, here's the the bottom line to all those questions. Here's the pre-misconception to all those questions. God, you should act like I expect. We wrestle with the presupposition of, if I were God and I was loving I would do it this way, right? That's what they they all think. If God was loving, he would just fix it all. If he was just, he would just fix it all right now. You see, Christians, you were not called to ignorance, although you are called to ignorance sometimes. Hebrews says that faith is the evidence of things unseen. You're not called to ignorance, Faith is the evidence. It's not faith is blind. Okay? Faith is the evidence. But here's one thing that you've got to recognize. As a Christian, you are called to be comfortable in the realm of mystery. You do not know all of God's purposes. And... You cannot answer why God does things, and neither can science, and neither can philosophy. Some things happen, and we're like, whoa, God, <laughs> what happened there? Okay? This, this sounds so cliche. Spurgeon said, when you cannot trust God, when you do not see his hand, you got to trust his heart. Okay, that's cliche. Let me put it in biblical, biblical words. You've seen that I was faithful in the past, Israel. Why do you think I'm not going to be good now and good to come? And I know that I'm not doing it like you expected, but why does God have to explain himself to me? You know what I'm saying? As if I'm somebody, as if any of us are somebody that God's like, well, I'm going to do this, but here's the reason why. God doesn't have to do that. What does scripture say? His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And when you think with a temporal mindset, you're not going to see it. But from God's perspective, he thinks eternally. He thinks on the scheme of his glory above all others, not mine. And man, that's hard. Because it is so mysterious. Let me read something to you. John seven nineteen and John calling two of his disciples to him, he sent them to Jesus saying, "Are you the coming? Here's the mystery. Here's the mystery. Are you the coming one, Jesus? Or should we look for another? I like that. When John is crowded in, it doesn't drive him away. It drives him to the source. Remember this of Scripture. I think it's the Psalms. It says that um, the, it's the pleasure of the Lord to conceal a matter. The Lord pleasures in taking a matter and making it hard to find. You know why? Because the second part of the verse says, it's the nobility of kings to seek out a matter. God doesn't leave diamonds just laying around on the surface. You want them. You've got to dig for them. We're not called to ignorance, but you work for it. And when you find it, ooh, it's so good. Man, I love studying. And I'm like, oh, wow, God, that's awesome. But you know what? It took hours to get there. And anything that's precious, you're not going to find it laying on the church floor. You're going to have to work for it. You're going to have to dig for it. That's what God does. A really good teacher one time said, you know, people say you just can't understand that. He's like, you know, maybe you're right. But let's at least try. Let's go for it. Let, let's trust the Lord and see what he has. The, the third reason, the fourth reason that John doubted. Doubt because, because of personal Unfulfilled expectations. John had personal expectations that he got from the word that were not fulfilled, kind of like Jonah. Remember Jonah? Um, Jonah's called to Nineveh. He says, Repent or perish, right? And so they all repent. And, and then um, Jonah's like, Hmm. Huh. He's sitting over here and he's thinking, I just was like raving, mad, crazy preaching that you're going to perish. And they all repented. I didn't see that one coming. And uh, God, for a time, worked with them. And how did Jonah handle his, his expectations? The guy was bitter. Isn't that funny? What were, jo- what were John's expectations? Let's look at some of John's expectations. Consider uh, with me Luke 3. We'll go to Luke 3. We'll start at 7. This is John teaching. Then he said to the multitudes... That came out to be baptized by him. Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruit worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our fathers. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children of Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Consider every tree which does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What do you think John's expectations were? Let's read on. People said, well, what do we do, John? John says in verse 11, he answered and said to them, he who has two tunics, let him give give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. You see the urgency in John's voice? Skip down to 15. Now, as the people were... Now, as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire and with many other exhortations he preached to the people. What do you think John's expectations were? Man, he thought the wrath of God. He thought that the coming one was coming and he was going to set it straight. His fan is in his hand and he is going to Make things right. Here's a little side note. Um, this is something I was thinking about. God's sovereign, right? So why John, why is John in prison? I wonder if number fifteen gives us a, a clue into His sovereignty. Why God was unmuddling the waters. Now, as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, I wonder, now John never read this, but but we just did. And I wonder if God in his sovereignty wanted the full focus on his son. So he put John away in prison a little bit. Are you okay with that? God using John like that? We don't like to be used. What do you think John's expectations were? He thought the Messiah was coming and he was going to bring the thunder. And what did Jesus do? Well, he went out and got 12 disciples. Nobody special. And he started teaching like any other rabbi at that time. He started walking around Galilee at this time, teaching. Now John's in prison. Jesus is walking around, talking to a Samaritan woman, talking to Nicodemus, and John's like, "What about the winnowing fan? What about the brood of vipers stuff that I was talking about?" See, John had these expectations of Jesus, and it was not according to the reality of what God was thinking. Um, Let me read you a verse. John 7, chapter 19. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? You know what I like about John? Is even though... He had misconceptions and false expectations. They did not drive him from Jesus. He did whatever it took to get Jesus and get his own heart figured out. All right, Jesus, I must have thought something wrong there because I was thinking you were going to do this. But what's going on? Are you the coming one? Can you imagine John's, like this was John's life. He was a teacher who was proclaiming the coming of the Messiah, and he's in prison thinking, did I pick the wrong one? Oh, but it drove him to Jesus. You know, as Christians, we, um, we have f- false expectations of what it's like to be a Christian. I had a buddy. Um, he went to a huge Christian university, and, um, I mean, this university reminds me of, like, the Christian version of MSU. It's even got, like, a round dome. What's that called again? Uh, what's it called? Fieldhouse. The Field House, right. <laughs> this one has a different name. <laughs> but, like, imagine MSU and, like, uh, you know how they have advertisements of speakers coming. Well, at this college, it was like, hey, we're all going to get together tonight. It was like... Several thousand people are going to come, and we're going to talk about repentance. Yes. We're going to, and then, like, there's a huge Christian band coming, and we're all going to get together and worship. And it was just like this mecca of, like, um, Christians. And my buddy comes up to me, and he goes, Andy. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, and I was visiting. Um, I, did, I lived, like, four and a half hours away. I came to visit, and he's like, Andy, man, I got a feeling that God is going to use me for something big. And I'm like, okay, like, like what? And he's like, I don't know, man, but it's going to be big. <laughs> did you ever feel like that? You know what he was thinking in the back of his mind? What did big mean? Billy Graham. The Apostle Paul, maybe. <laughs> I don't know, but big. You know, a lot of times as Christians, we have these expectations of our life, like it's going to be big. Like faithful means that I'm famous. You know what? You know what might actually happen. You might actually end up being like everybody else. <laughs> You're just a normal guy wrestling through life. You get a normal job in a normal cubicle. <laughs> you marry a normal wife. And you have some normal kids. And. Normally, you get a little older, and you look back normally, and you say, I I didn't think it was going to be like this. I thought that it was going to be big. You see, faithfulness is faithful before the Lord, not before men. And faithfulness is being faithful to what He calls you to. And it may be very normal, but faithful is before the Lord. Would you want it before anybody else? If I'm faithful before men, you guys will walk out of the room and forget me. But when you're faithful before the Lord and the small things and the little this little life we live, he is faithful to you. (laughs) Not that it's dependent on that. He's faithful even when we are faithless for Pete's sake. But it may not look like your expectations. Let me read something to you. And John sent them to Jesus. Get your expectations from God's word and nowhere else, because you'll be disappointed. Think of men like, like Moses who <laughs> walked around in the desert for 40 years before God ever used him. Think of Paul. All those years before the Lord used him, he's just wrestling in his sin. Think of Christ. For 30 years, we don't have a clue. You know what he was doing? He's just being faithful. Faithful son, and he grew in wisdom and stature. Faithful to his parents. Maybe a little bit different than you expect. Um, what's the point? The point so far, up till now, is if you're wrestling in doubt, let it drive you to Christ, not from Christ. Go to the source, no matter what it takes. John used other men. He could not get there. You guys, go for me, because I can't. Now, here's the second half of the coin. The other half of the coin. Um, One of the things that we wrestle with when we doubt, and this is the reason why we don't tell anybody, is because Christians shouldn't doubt. What will they think of me? What will God think of me? Like, what's God going to think of me doubting? Andy, of all people, I'm really disappointed in you, doubting like that, doubter. That's what we do. Doubt separates you. Like James said, Sin separates you. But what is true? Like, what did, how did Jesus respond? Let's look. Back to Luke. This is so encouraging. Luke 7, 20. And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And at that very hour, he cured many of infirmities and afflictions and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. That's weird. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Um, what did Jesus not do? He doesn't condemn John. He doesn't, like, hammer down on him. He's gentle with him, as we'll see. What else does Jesus not do? He he doesn't release him from prison. (laughs) He could have, couldn't he? Doesn't it say that Jesus has come to set the captives free? Well, here we got John as a captive, but that's not what... That's not the type of captivity that Jesus has come to set people free from. You see, you can be a captive in prison, and if you and if the Son has set you free from your sin, you are free indeed. But you can be a free man like me and you walking around right now, and if you are wrestling in the the bondage of sin, you're miserable. And when it talked about Jesus had come to set the captives free, it was not from prison. It was from an eternal bondage, a bondage to sin. Jesus, um, he doesn't give a simple yes or no answer either. Are you the coming one or should we look for another? Tell John, yes. There you go. Isn't that what we do, though? We give really quick answers, cheap words. Man, I'm wrestling. And we quit prescribe him a verse. Go read this five times. Sleep on it. John does Jesus does not give a quick answer. He could have, he could have said the, the perfect word, but he doesn't. You know what he does? He goes on a healing spree. Which is weird. If you don't know why. Like. We well, we just asked you a question, and like all of a sudden, like these blind people, are like I can see, and lame are jumping, and the deaf can hear, but the answer hasn't come yet. Um, I'd like to read to you uh, Jude twenty-two, real quick. First and second, third John Jude and Revelation. Go to Jude twenty-two, Jude letter to believers. When a person comes before you and they are wrestling in doubt, how do you handle them? What do you do? This is what Jude said. And on some, having compassion. Why? What do some of your versions say? Have compassion on those who are... What does yours say, Jake? Have mercy on those who doubt. Have mercy on those who doubt. Mine says, have compassion on those who doubt. Some say on who make a distinction. It's the same thing. It's, they're doubting. They're making a distinction. They're double-minded. Have compassion on them. And I love how the epistles say it, but Jesus lived. is it. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Like Jesus, he said it and he was it. So what he's about to do He's not about to talk about compassion. He's about to be compassion. How does he do it? He heals a bunch of people. Why do you think that encouraged John the Baptist so much? I'll tell you why. It's because Jesus knew that John knew Isaiah 35, 5. Speaking of the Messiah. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. You know what Jesus is doing? He is encouraging John with the word by being the word and demonstrating fulfilled prophecy in the sight of these men. Jesus, are you the coming one? Are you the Messiah? Or should we look for another? You know what Jesus does? He does a whole bunch of Messiah things right before them. He doesn't say anything yet. All of a sudden he's just like, that's a good question. And then he turns back to them, and this is what he says. 22. Go and tell John all the things you've just seen and heard. That the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor of the gospel. Are you the coming one or should we look for another? He encourages him with the word. Man, I love that. Doubt is a spiritual issue. It deals with our faith. You will find no comfort other than being encouraged by the word, by going to the source and being encouraged by the word. Um, That's the first thing Jesus does. Theology demonstrated The second response, Jesus rebukes him. It's a compassionate buke. He he gives another beatitude just for the sake of John. Here's what it is. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me, John. What does that mean? That word offended, scandalizo, this is what it means. You're walking along. You trip over something, your foot, and what is your reaction? You trip over it, and you're like, Ugh! you're walking along. Your foot gets caught in a snare. You get annoyed. That's what that word means. John, blessed are you. Don't trip over me. Don't be offended by me. It's the emotion of being offended, annoyed with, sinning, just because you don't understand what I do. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Another way you could say it is, John, don't be offended by me. You gotta, you're going to have to trust me. And blessed are you when you do. Um, we're going to close with this. John incre- J- Jesus increases John's faith by demonstrating Scripture. But he also encourages John by he calls sin, sin. Like He has compassion on doubt because it's a sin. He, call, he also calls it out. But he does it so gently. Um, there's a couple of the things I'd like to add as we, we consider doubt because they weren't brought up in John's life. James 5.14, if you're in doubt right now or someday if you, if you re- are wrestling through that, James 5.14 says that those who are sick or that those who, that another word for it is weak, weak-hearted, weak circumstances, that this person should go to the elders. Here's the principle. Weak person. Doubter, you should go to a strong person, spiritually strong. Why? So that they can pray for you. You see, a healthy Christian lives a life before men and a life before God. God has put other believers in your life for this purpose. Take the example of John, who couldn't go. He was weak, and so he used other brothers to find encouragement another word of encouragement is in Jude 24 this is right after Jude says to have compassion or mercy on those who are doubting now to him That is Jesus, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Why is it that today I'm standing up here and a year from now I'm not an atheist? Why is that? It's because it's now to him who is able to keep me from stumbling. Christ, your faith is not your own. It is a gift from the Lord. It is Christ who keeps you. I had a really good conversation with a guy, and he said, Andy, do you think that I could leave the faith even if I wanted to? That's a good question. Here's a question to answer it. Do you think that you could have come if you wanted to? Because the scripture says that I hated God with all of my heart. And when I was a dead man running from God, enmity and hatred in my heart, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It is to him who keeps you, period. Man, that should bring you encouragement. Now, there's other people in here who are doubting. Some of the, the darkest times of doubt in my life and the people I've talked to life, it's because they're living in, that they have sin in their life. And God does not endorse you. He does not Ride in the co-seat while you do whatever you want to do. Psalms 32, David says, I'm going to read it. It's good. Let's start at verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered Blessed is the man to to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and those whose spirit there is no deceit. David says, When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You know, your doubt, God may allow you to doubt. Why? To drive you back to him. Why should you be affirmed in your faith when you are walking contrary to the Lord? long time ago, some guys... uh, some Christians they called it praying against a bronze sky because <laughs> they were in sin and they felt as if they were praying. And what is going on? See, well, this is what we try to do. We try to we want the Lord, and we still want what we want. And God says, "You get no rest." I'm not going to let you be content in your bed as you lie there when you're wrestling with sin. And, and I'm not going to tell you it's okay. To you, go to Jesus and repent. And then the third one, and this is to non-believers. What scares me is verses like Matthew 7, 21 There's people out there who do not doubt. And they say, Lord, Lord, we did all these things for you. And Jesus says, I never knew you. This person has every right to doubt. Um, 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, examine yourselves to see according to, to God's Word if you are in the faith. A lot of, a lot of people who call themselves cr- Christians base their faith on things that are not in the Bible. You know what we base them on? We base them on a prayer. How many of you wrote down in your Bible that the day you were saved? I wonder. Now, that's a good thing unless your faith is in that date how do you know you're saved? It says right here. On that day I said a prayer. It's not true. Our faith is not in a date. Our faith is in Christ alone. What does that look like? It looks like repentance from sin. You should doubt. But Corinthians says, examine yourselves because you can know. I read a great book last week by John MacArthur says that uh, the whole thing was saved without a doubt. Man, if you want to read an encouraging book to test yourself to see if you are in the faith, there's some good literature out there that will walk you through Scripture to make sure that you understand the gospel not according to your terms, but according to God's terms. And that's all I care about. <laughs> I care about what God thinks, not what I think. Really? Really? I'm not saved according to my own merit. Um, But to those who were like John, who were weak, Jesus has much mercy, much compassion, much love for I And I pray that part of Christ's love would come from you, the body of Christ, to those who are doubting that you would not just throw out cheap words, but that you would actually be merciful. You wouldn't talk of mercy. You would be merciful. You wouldn't just talk about your theology. You would be theology, just like Christ was, if that makes sense. We're going to close with that. I'm going to ask the guys to come up. We're going to um, do a little bit more singing, more worshiping. But uh, why don't we close with prayer? And uh, man, I would encourage you, if you're wrestling with doubt, take your cues from John. Don't separate yourself. Like, come up and talk to some of these other believers here. Talk to myself, to Tanner, some of these other believers. We would love to be merciful to you, to encourage you in the word, and to walk with you. Let's pray. Lord, I love you with all my heart. You have been so good. You have been so patient and merciful with me as I have wrestled with doubt. And Lord, I I do thank you that on this side, Lord, um, you have strengthened my faith. And Lord, although you let us walk through the valley of the shadow of death, We needn't fear no evil because you are with us, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would run quickly to you, Lord. Let us not grow hardened. Lord, thank you for this evening. This time we can open up your word and be encouraged by what you say. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.